0: Amen. So last week we did uh, chapters 13 and 14, ending on four in 14, where Abram had uh, gathered everybody up and uh, had to go rescue his nephew Lot and uh, go to battle against four kings that had already just defeated five. Um, not something that we're all going to get all excited about and say we got it and everything. It was a a, uh, um, a move he needed, he knew he needed to make uh, to potentially save Lot's life and to save everybody from uh, bondage, uh, the bondage of slavery, and um, it was it was a uh, a great uh, a great conquering uh, for them uh, to go with such a small number of people. And then, split in half, and then go and uh and get lot, get all the people that were taken, and then, as they come back where you would normally you know once you've conquered somebody, they'd be able to take of the spoil and uh when uh the king of uh, Sodom came and and presented that option. Uh, to Abram, he, he had to tell the, uh, tell the king, nope, no, because I know you're going to try to take God's glory. You're going to be the one that's uh, going to say, oh, look what I've done. You know, what Abraham, you know, everything he's got, I gave to him. And uh, he was very, very uh, careful to make sure that God got the glory for what happened. And uh, they, it it, it ends uh, with, with that. And, um, we As we move forward, uh, so when we see in, in chapter uh, 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham uh, in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So that shield, it, there was uh, maybe a fear there of, of these guys coming back. They go and get more people and come back. What, we don't know what the fear was, but we know that there is a fear there and uh, the Lord is calming Abram's heart and telling him, uh, not only am I your shield, but he said, uh, I am your great reward. You know, that's uh, just meditate on that, that God would be the reward. Now re- realize the reward for what he did would have been the spoils that they gained um but uh but you know the lord said no you have an even greater reward than what the world has to offer you i i will be your exceedingly great reward it doesn't just say i'll be which even god's saying i'll be a reward but we understand how important this is just looking at it where it says your exceedingly great reward uh that that abram's not going to be disappointed with that award uh reward and uh the same with us that we, as we trust in the Lord and understand that uh, when we can turn the, the 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 world away from us and focus our eyes on the Lord, the reward we get is the Lord's presence in our life. Yes, we have an eternal reward to be with Him, but even in this life, that that reward that He has for us is so much better than. Any any king, anything any king could offer us or anything, so uh just understanding that uh, that the Lord is presenting himself as the great reward to Abram and also calming his fears and uh, so uh, what we see in verse two is that uh, Abram uh, is really about to ask the Lord about an heir that uh, that came from him uh which isn't a sinful desire it's not wrong of us to ask the lord of the uh, for things that um are 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 not sinful so uh verse 2 says but abram said lord god what will you give me seeing i go childless and the heir of my house is eleazar of damascus then abram said look you have given me no offspring indeed one born in my house is my heir so When the Lord had told him, I'm your shield, I'm your exceedingly great reward, uh, no doubt that worked something in Abram's heart, and his response is a question to the Lord. And he's responding with this question, and uh, it's it's not only a question, but it's also a statement. And uh, it's uh, almost as though he believed that God had forgotten his promise to Abram. Uh, many years before, so uh, he's being honest with the Lord. You know, he's an old man at this time, and uh, he's just saying, you know, Lord, I-, I don't have uh, my own child. Eliezer, my my servant, the oldest servant in my house, he would be the heir. And uh, you know, he he goes, to, and and if you look at verse three, Abram's being honest with God. I mean, we can look at that and say, you know, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, no one. Uh, indeed uh, one born in my house is my heir. You you know, that's, it's, um, I was, I listened to, to Joe Foch on this one. And, uh, um, I was blessed when, when he said this, it's, we should not be, you know, shaking our fist at God, but God, as we see when we get through, uh, chapters 15 and 16, uh, the Lord willing, um, they, uh, there's an account where Hagar, uh, is is talking to God and uh it's uh when she leaves she's talking about she names the place uh after God and that he sees. And uh God God sees us. God God understands our hearts. we don't have to like we don't have to lie to him if we're upset about something. We can go to him. We should always have reverence for him. But it's not like if we don't understand something we can't come to the Lord because you know we, we're not gonna pull the wool over his eyes. If there's something that's making us upset, we can go to him, uh, you know, in reverence and say, Lord, I'm not understanding what's going on. You know, there might be that frustration or whatever. Um, I, I be honest, I've prayed that prayer several times. Like I've just gotten to that point and (laughs) Lord forgive me, but I have no idea what's happening in my life or whatever the situation was to go to the Lord. And I, I, the Lord wants us to be honest with him. We're not going to pull the wool over his eyes. So, uh, so In response to the Lord telling him this, Abram has this question-slash-statement, and uh, weaved within it, when you look at the words, it seems as though he believed that God forgot his promise. So verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, speaking of Eliezer, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he uh, brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them and he said to him so your so shall your descendants be so god with his patient and loving heart is 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 tenderly dealing with Abram and uh, his his question and uh, the frustration and, and uh, w- what's going on with Abram because he's 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 old this he, you know when we see what what uh, develops in um, uh, chapters fifteen and sixteen by the time the firstborn son that comes from him Ishmael uh, is born he's eighty six years old. You know, so this is an old man and he's 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 has those questions or whatever. And the Lord is is uh, so gracious and patient and uh, he acknowledges Abram and he assures him that uh, there will be an heir that directly comes from him. And uh, I love when we see here in in, um, verse three, when he the Lord takes Abram outside, you know, and and it's it's uh, it seems so personal to me and a personal way to minister to him. And the Lord uses things around us to speak to us, if you haven't realized that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a circumstance, but it could be. But he may show us uh, something about his faithfulness when we see a tree, you know, or we see, uh, you know, okay, there's a tree planted by rivers of water. and, And we, oh, wait a minute, you know, I can remember Psalm 1. And, you know, those things that the Lord may speak to us. But the Lord's specifically ministering to him and has him go outside and he has him look up, uh, look up to the sky. He did the same in Genesis 13. So the Lord is, is speaking to Abram in a way he's going to understand. And the Lord can do that better than anybody um, to each of us individually. He knows how we learn. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. And he's the one that can speak to us. And maybe this is what Abraham needed to see. He needed to see something to go along with. Uh, what's being said like okay so there's this and oh okay i understand it's it's not a miracle he's seeing but maybe maybe he was a visual learner i don't know um but we do know that he, he you know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god but god uses this visual uh tool to help abram understand how much he's going to bless him in his life so he takes him outside and uh and, and he, he takes this personal time and you know sometimes uh, it's uh, just God uh, sharing us through our surroundings and what's happening, uh, that he's going to speak to us. And, and, uh, um, maybe it's going to be something that as we hear it and we see something, it might have a greater, uh, impact and it might, it might, uh, help us to understand it better or have a, a longer lasting impact on us. Uh, it's very practical for the Lord to come out and say, Hey, you want to understand what I'm going to do in your life? You can compare it to this, and he can look up into the sky and just see these the the the, the stars that are up there and just try trying to number them. If you've ever tried to count <laughs> you know, is that a star there? Oh, I forgot I was on 78. Now I gotta start all over because I don't remember, you know, there's there's that there, but you know, he he tells him count the stars if you're able to number them. And, uh, you know, so shall your descendants be. And uh, we know that the Lord had told him before, you know, as the sand of the sea or the dust of the earth, you know, the stars of the sky. The point is they're going to be too numerous to count. And uh, so when he takes Abram out there, you know, that, that he can see. Now, if you think, especially in that day, in that season, in, in Abram's life, he doesn't have any children. And he's an old man. And for him to be able to look up, like, I don't understand this. I don't understand what's happening here but the Lord is is doing a work in him and it's as he hears these things and then the Lord shows him we see in verse six there's uh, there's a, a a faith that comes it, if you look at verse six it says and he believed God and he accounted it, it to him for righteousness yes he believed what God said but he but it, what he says here is he believed i I just said it wrong uh, and he believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. He, he had faith in the Lord. And then God accounted to him for righteousness. His faith in the Lord. Not necessarily what the Lord was saying to him about that. But it was his, his faith in the Lord. Um, when he believed. I When he, he came to that understanding. And that knowledge of, of who God is. It says that it was accounted to him for righteousness. And no doubt. He comes to a point where he believes the words of God, but uh, what what's happening here is he comes to faith in God that he believes in the Lord. He had been following the Lord, but but based on what we see here, there's a, a another light switch that comes on that he he, under, he that he he sees who is speaking to him. He understands who's speaking to him, and that he believed in the Lord. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And it's what it says is he accounted it to him. God accounted it to him. If you think of bank, like a bank statement, you have your your credits that come in and your debits that go out. This would be like adding a credit to his spiritual account, uh, if we want to look at it that way, where it's accredited to him. It's it's uh, uh, you know um, it's accounted to him for righteousness. So uh, we understand that Abram. Uh, in and of himself was not righteous, but as he had a believing faith in the Lord, the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness to him. So uh, you know, there's there's that credit on his account. You know, it was faith that made the difference in Abraham's life. Uh, and it's also the difference in our own lives. So uh, in a few verses that you'll see pop up here, Romans four verses one through four. Romans 4, verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to know him who works, the wages, uh, are not counted as grace but as debt, so that to know him who works, one that's trying to uh, earn that righteousness. So when, once you've tried to do that by works, those works become a debt to you because we can never get to that point where those works uh, earn uh, the righteousness that we're seeking. So, uh, But it's that righteousness that comes from the Lord but because of faith in him. Romans 4, verses 13 through 25. So bear with me here. Uh, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not uh, to Abraham or to his seed uh, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So this promise was made not because Abram had, uh, the law hadn't even been given yet, but be- not because he was righteous, but because he believed in God, is what it's saying here. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings forth wrath for where there is uh, no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all so there you see the emphasis being pushed here uh, being presented by by paul he's he 's presenting the evidence that that faith uh, that faith comes through we understand i almost said faith comes through hearing, but that righteousness comes through faith, not by works is what he 's explaining, verse seventeen as it is written. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who has believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, uh, then he gets into this explanation here. So he's, he's saying, who gives life to the dead. Now, as he moves on to this explanation, and as, as an example, it's it's quite interesting. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Verse 19. And and not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he who had promised, uh, that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. This is very interesting. Thousands of years later, Paul's writing this. He, But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who rose up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That tie all the way back to Abraham. Abraham uh, believing in the Lord and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. When we believe in the Lord, what it says here, but also for us, it shall be imputed, who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's uh, that, that, that we get counted in that same category based on faith. Just having that faith, that, that that same faith, that that's why he's called the, the father of our faith. That he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Back in Genesis 15, verse 7 says, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And when he says, I am the Lord, uh, he's talking about YHWH, Yahweh. And he called him out of Er, and gave him the land of Israel. He's. This is a restatement of the blessings given in Genesis uh, chapter twelve and thirteen. It's a, the Lord's repeating His promise to Abram. And he said, "Lord God, how shall I know what I, I should I will inherit?" Uh, this was Abraham Abram asking for cla- uh, clarification. And Abram uh, had faith in God, but uh, didn't quite understand everything. He's said, How am I going to know these things? Uh, he was human. He believes in God, but he doesn't necessarily know how God is going to work everything. And if that doesn't ring a bell for us, that I don't know what God is doing in my life, but I know that he's called me to follow him. He's called me out of darkness into his light and to follow him day by day. And that there there's, there's going, there are going to be times in our lives that we don't know what he's doing. We don't know what the end goal of whatever he's called us to do I was talking with a I went out with uh, a couple buddies last night, and um, we uh, went out to get dinner, and every year we go, and we shop for our wives together, and it's been a tradition for, I don't know how many years now, 10, 15 years, we get together, and we go out to eat, and then we usually, you know, the shopping part is usually uh, very short, because we're guys, and we don't necessarily like to shop, we know exactly what we need, we go in, boom, 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 okay, I'm good, now we go to this store, and and we get out of there, but we look forward to just the fellowship, just talking. Of course we look for I had a brisket sandwich. It was massive at smoke and steel and briskets pouring out and French fries and and my mouth salivating. I don't know yours. But I enjoyed that time and I enjoyed hanging out with my brothers. And um after we dropped off um Mike, uh we it's just Dave and I were driving and and uh, you know we've had a lot of these conversations in our lives. We've grown up together. We've we've known each other since school, you know. And and we've uh, we we came to faith uh, similar to the same time. Um, and when I say came to faith, like actually started following the Lord. We all like we all believed in uh, God and and wanted the Savior, but absolutely didn't want the Lord because. Then we're, uh, then we're tied to actually obeying him, and we were rebellious little punk teenagers. So we didn't want to do that. So we would just kind of try to uh, have our own type of uh, made-up relationship with the Lord. And... Uh, but, uh, you know, we've had these conversations over time. Well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. And, you know, we, uh, Dave and I both are, are married with three kids. And we've had these types of conversations. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. And we were just talking today, uh, talking last night. And Dave's like, you know, right where I'm at right now is the Lord isn't speaking to me about going anywhere else. So he knows that he's just got to be faithful to do whatever the Lord's calling him to do right now. And, uh, you know, that's what we're, we're called to do is, is just follow. We may not understand, you know, what's going to be next or we may not enjoy what we're doing right now. But if we know that's where the Lord has called us and he's providing for us and he's, he's uh, sustaining us and he's giving us that peace, you know, for us to try to wiggle out of that and create our own uh, uh, will and, and everything can get us into trouble can cause a lot of uh, things for us, some, some trouble in our lives. And so we we were both just talking about wanting to be in that spot. We don't always understand what God's doing. But, you know, when we get to that point where we want something to change and like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've, I've got this and this. If, if you understand Abram's heart where he's saying, you know, uh, Lord, how shall I know uh, that I'll inherit it? He's, he's just asking, can you speak to me a little bit more? Like, what What am I, I, I need to know more. Continue to speak to me is what he's asking. And uh, just like us, he's human. He, he needs to know more and he's asking the Lord for more. When we're in those situations, know that we can come to God because he already knows what's going on in our hearts. Just confess it and bring it to him and ask him. So verse 9 says, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Not necessarily what you think would be the answer to a question. But Abram knows what's happening here. Because in verse 10 it says, Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two down the middle, and placed each uh, piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So as a result of this question, God tells him to go get these specific things. And Abram understood that the Lord was calling him to get these things to, uh, for an offering. And that offering was tied to a covenant that the Lord was going to present to Abram. So Abram knew what to do uh, with them. And uh, he was aware that God was making a covenant with him. And uh, that, that covenant would be like making a deal, a business deal Uh, so, uh, the, the symbol, uh, that was here was, uh, to cut those, uh, you know, in these days it would be like a contract. So, uh, the contract was made, uh, by sacrificing, um, animals and and cutting the animals, splitting them in two, one on each side. And the covenant was made when the two parties that are making, uh, the deal would walk down and they would proclaim what the covenant was between these two things. And uh, they they'd explain the agreement uh, as they walked through the animal parts together, and they'd repeat these terms. Uh, and uh, the Lord made a covenant uh, right here. He's literally, and uh, in, in the words literally here, the Lord cut a covenant. Uh, so they're walking between um, what was uh, like signing an agreement. And uh, so when the Lord when he set these up, he set them up there, and they're sitting there in in Abram's. Uh, this is during the day, and Abram is waiting to see, you know, when are they going to walk through? And uh, he says that he had to um, uh, keep the vultures from coming down on the carcasses. So there's a waiting period here. And the, this symbolism uh, it, it is plain. Um, the, the first covenant what we see here is, is uh, it, it's a serious thing to take something's life. And um, that it 's the, the covenant is sealed by blood is what 's being uh, uh pictured here so if the the uh, the covenant was broken, that bloodshed um, would uh, you know that would it 's a symbolism of then i 'm guilty of the, of this blood here so it it, it means a lot jeremiah thirty four verse eighteen and nineteen verses eighteen and nineteen give us a little bit of uh, an understanding of Uh, how this was used uh, in the scripture. Verse 18 of Jeremiah 34 says, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, uh, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. And there was, a, there was an agreement made. There was a covenant made. And uh, so these things were done. And the Lord then proclaims that uh, in, in verse 20, he says, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hands of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of heaven and the beasts of the earth. It was the seriousness of once you've made a covenant with the Lord that you make that type of covenant, you split that animal in two uh, instead of, you know, if you think of it, honoring the life of that animal. Uh, the Lord didn't tell them just to just to slaughter animals for nothing. There was a reason for these things in worship or in covenant. So the covenant was very serious. And what the Lord is saying, for those who... Uh, who performed this oath, this covenant, and and uh, basically if you look, want to look at it, sign that contract with the Lord and they didn't keep it, things were not going to turn out well for them, as I just read. And uh, th- that's from Jeremiah 34. So uh, these birds, uh, interesting uh, little note, the birds can't steal the carcasses, uh, and if you think of the birds of the air in the scripture I know will have t- has talked to this uh, uh, talked to us about this before but the the birds of the air represent a, de- a demonic presence and uh, that they can't come down and steal uh what is happening and uh you know the birds of the air will rest in the in the tree the mustard tree that that grew uh that that uh, if you look through the uh, Calvary Chapel distinctive, distinctives, you'll learn that it's talking about what's called uh, expositional constancy. So once they're presented as one thing and it, and it proceeds through the Scriptures, we understand that there's, uh, there's uh, an implication there. So they can't interfere with God's promise. There's nothing that can interfere. Once God has made a covenant with us, there's nothing that can interfere with that. Verse 12 now that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to him, Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years, and also the nation whom they serve will I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions." Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, what the Lord says, so I I just need to make sure that we cover this before we go and I forget. Um, But Abram's asking for a sign. Abram's saying, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? And then he cuts these things up, and he, he's waiting for the Lord. And then as the Lord is speaking to him, he says, Know certainly that your descendants, and he's talking about descendants that are going to come from Abram. You're going to have descendants. And just understand, when you die, you're going to, what he says here is you will go to your fathers in peace. Under, just rest your head, Abram, understanding I am going to give you descendants. The, what he sees here isn't necessarily great because we uh, we see the horror and great darkness, and we'll get into that here in a moment. But just understand the Lord is answering his question in this response. So Abram has cut these things up, and he's waiting to hear from the Lord, and then the Lord speaks to him right here. It says, uh, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And this deep sleep that falls upon him, he he, he sees this horror and great darkness. And the Lord says that his descendants are going to be uh, slaves. And they're, they're going to be strangers in the land. And we understand this to be Egypt, that they're there for 400 years. But the Lord is, is, is confirming to and assuring Abram that that's not going to be the end of them. They're going to be there for a time. And when the wickedness of the Amorites is, is, is complete... You're going to be pulled out of there, and we know that they dwell, and uh, they they wander in the wilderness uh, for 40 years after that because they can't get into the promised land because of of their sin against the Lord. So, uh, the Lord tells them, it tells him, you are going to have them. They're you're you're going to have descendants. They're going to go to Egypt. They're going to be there 400 years. That's a long time, and they're going to serve. But the Lord is is assuring him. That uh, he's going to to pull them out of there, uh, and they will eventually get there. And uh, that sun went down. You know that deep sleep, uh, the, the the horror and great darkness. The, this is a, a this isn't something Abram's going to forget. You know that deep sleep and the Lord speaking to him. And, and, and telling him all of these things, it's not something that's going to be taken lightly. And when the Lord said they, they're going to leave with great possessions, they left with, with much gold and, um, uh, they, that they could command from the people of, of Egypt and they gave it to them. So, uh, the Lord promised him a peaceful death and that he go to his father and, uh, in the fourth generation, they'll return, but not quite yet. And, uh, uh, the Lord is speaking of his foreknowledge and his timing when he talks about the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. And uh, that, that God is working in his time and he knows what he's doing and uh, keeping Israel uh, on his time. Verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun uh, went down and it was dark, that behold, uh, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. So, uh, the sun had gone down now. Now, remember he had the, the, uh, during the day he was, uh, he fell into the deep sleep and, uh, now it's dark naturally. And, uh, he had this, this, uh, this occasion happen and now it's getting dark and, uh, the smoking, smoking oven and the burning torch are there. These representations of God's presence. Now, uh, we don't know exactly, but if you, if you consider an oven, uh, and, <clears throat> the, the pillar of smoke, because it's, it's talking of, um, I got to get to, uh, where I've got it on different pages here. Um. I've, I've lost my spot here. We're talking of the—oh, I'm looking right at it. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a smoking oven. Now, if you want to compare the smoking oven to the the pillar of smoke that the, uh, the Israelites uh, benefited from that would give them shade during the day, and then the pillar of fire— uh, that represented the presence of the Lord that would give them light uh, at the uh, during the night. Wh- however, you want to look at that. Uh, I think those are probably our our best uh, examples to uh, to consider. But it passes through uh, these the oven and the torch. Uh, these things that are uh, that are uh, appeared uh, there are passing through uh, these sacrifices and and it sealed the covenant. And notice that it wasn't Abram and God that passed through it was just God that passed through now for us to make a deal a covenant with each other we would have to pass through but the Lord is saying uh what we see here is that God did it alone he's passing through and uh, rather than the two parties this is um uh Abram uh, just seeing what the Lord did and, and he, uh, passed through. So there's no work required, uh, of Abraham, uh, of Abram to pass through, um, uh, no work on his part. And that may speak to you and you may be going, ah, no work for God's covenant. There's no work on my half, uh, to experience the blessings of God's covenant. And, you know, uh, we've we've said this many times, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that uh, faith, uh, that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Um, You know, then you look at James, and uh, that James 2 is explaining that our works, we should have faith and works in our lives. And that those works would be evidence that we are of faith, that we are God's children, but those works don't save us. Uh, But faith without works is dead. So if we if we don't have any works in our lives it, you know is it, it's what James is presenting that that uh, if we don't have works in our lives are we really saved are we are, are we blessing god are we uh, are we doing the things that we should do uh, in obedience to him and uh, to to proclaim his name uh, to the lost to family friends loved ones work uh, coworkers whatever it is can can our works uh, be seen and be evidence that the lord is in our hearts and our lives as Christians. You know, uh, Abram didn't have anything to do. You know, this is uh, just understand that when we don't, we can't do anything uh, to earn. Just understand that God is God's at work. He doesn't need us to be able to do what He wants to do, uh, but He uh, He does what He wants to do, and uh, He passed through by Himself, and uh, He made that deal, that covenant. Uh, with basically symbolically signing a contract with Abram. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps, I shall obtain children by her, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So many years had had, had gone by since uh, God's promise, and uh, that's a lot of uh, understand in those days. It's public shame for why she why can't she have babies? You know that you know it oh, must be something wrong with her. You know, what's going on? And uh, so she uh, uh, Sarah uh, Sarah Sarai. We're gonna understand by the end of this that. Um, She's very good at blaming others, and uh, she's good at blaming God. She's good at blaming uh, her husband. She's not so much at, uh, you know, uh, not so much looking at her own uh, shortcomings uh, or uh, her own fault. So uh, she wants to just keep pointing the finger. So there's a lot going on here. And uh, Sarai, in, in verse two, she's acknowledging that God has the power to make her present. Uh, But then she acts in defiance of this, and uh, what we see is this is an act of desperation. She wants a child, and she's had it. She no longer has patience waiting on the Lord, and in this act of desperation, she comes up with this plan. And now uh, for uh, what she's presenting, it wasn't so uncommon. If somebody couldn't have children, then they would use a maid. Uh, to be a surrogate mother for them. And what would happen is the baby would be born on their knees, and then it would be as though it was their baby, that it came from them. It would belong to uh, the slave that was forced into being a surrogate, uh, but it would belong to uh, the mistress, the one that was in charge, and uh, the the, the woman. So, uh, you know, it was a common practice that day for people to do, but that doesn't mean that it was right. Doesn't mean it was right. Understand that for Christians, even though things are common here, it doesn't mean that we need to be following the world. Romans twelve that we should be transformed. You know we, we, that we should be uh, not conformed to the image of this world, but transformed. Uh, so uh, Romans twelve uh, that, that that will if you ever feel like you're you're wrestling with um, what's going on in the world that is drawing us in, just go meditate on Romans twelve. It's it, it, the Lord's going to use it to bless us. So God didn't tell Abram uh, that He would bless him with a child through somebody else. Remember that these times that the Lord is saying it to him. Uh, you know He only had one wife, so who else would the baby come from? So when the Lord is is giving this promise to Abram, Abram's married to Sarai. The Lord isn't saying, "Hey, go take another wife, go uh, go uh, into Hagar and have have a daughter." With the Lord has already promised him a a son. And he has one wife, and a tagar. So the Lord had promised. So, uh, you know, uh, he also ne- never mentioned another woman being a Sarai. He never said, oh, oh go do this. Uh, the Lord very specifically told him that he would have a child, and where he has one wife, it can be assumed that God is uh, speaking to him about uh, having that with his wife. And we know that that's ultimately what the Lord did mean. Should have stood on God's promise. You know, instead he heeded the voice of his wife, instead of clinging to the promise of God, he heeded to the voice of his wife. You know, it, now it's important for us as uh, Christian men that are married uh, to understand that a godly wife uh, often has very valuable insight to share with their husband. That's why they give them to us. Just, you know, just today I was uh, just running around here in the church. Just and the Lord just reminded me of how much I've been blessed by my I just, I just, she, she has, uh, since uh, we've, uh, moved into these, uh, these roles here at the church and overseeing the church and the the women's ministry and these things, just how, how, uh, the Lord has spoken to her and she's been so obedient and so faithful, uh, to him and to, to, to coming alongside me and serving with me. And I just so blessed that, and the Lord speaks through her. I, 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 you know, he'll, he'll speak to her heart and she'll say, Hey, what do you think about it? And i be like, the Lord just spoke to you, you know, and, and, uh, you know, th- that, uh, just understand guys, we need to hold our women in high esteem. We really do. Our wives, I should say our women, our wives in, in high esteem. We do when, when their lives are submitted to the Lordship of Christ and they're seeking uh, the Lord, we need to, uh Trust that the Lord speaks to them and that He works in. We are called to lead, but if we look and go, oh, "Well, I'm called to lead," God can never speak to you. Uh, he only speaks to me because I'm the leader. That's uh, you're, we're going to get ourselves in trouble there. The Lord speaks to them. So, but what we see here is God is not telling this to us. This is her and her frustration, and He follows and He heeds her voice over the promise of God. Here. So and this was not godly insight, and Abram should have corrected her and reassured her of his love for her and her alone and, uh, and of God's promise. That's what he should have done. She said, no, the Lord has spoken to me multiple times, and he's told me this. You are my one wife, and this isn't the way that God said it was going to be, that we would do this all in our own flesh and on our own power. You know, and and so the the responsibility also falls on him. It's on both of them. They're 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 both wrong in this situation. She's wrong because she's in frustration, just making a hasty move, saying, "Hey, let's do this." And Abram should have stepped back and said, "You know, we're not going to do that." God has promised me this. I have one wife, and I that I'm I'm going to uh, cling to His promise. And he heeds her her voice, and. What we see as this develops here is problems start immediately. It, 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 this, is, this is just the beginning of a lot of problems uh, in Abram's life, in his wife's life, in his family, in the world that, that come from this. Verse thirty-three. So verse 13, Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, uh, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So there's another ten years that have gone by. They've been there ten years since they left Egypt. Ten years. So he went into Hagar, uh, and I've said her name differently each time. Just We know who we're talking about, right? And she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Okay, problems are starting. There was already, you know, some jealousy. You just had intimate relations with my husband. So there's already something there, okay? And uh, there's actually a custom that I can say amongst, I know you guys here, there's actually a a common custom of the day for the process to be that Hagar would actually sit on on Sarai's lap as Abram inseminated her. That's a little bit crazy. I just wanted to share that with you uh, that I found in my own study uh to show her that the child belonged to Sarai that he that during that act and uh making Hagar a substitute for Sarai so i wanted to share that um uh then it would be her child bearing it on her knees um uh so then as the baby's born then there's a surrogate but the actual act that was the it's it's pretty crazy so that was not necessarily uh what happened but there was a common custom uh, that that would happen don't know if that is exactly what happened, but that was talk about weird That that would actually happen there there would uh, the chaperone. I don't know what you'd call them, but it was a common uh, a common uh, custom that they would actually Yeah, anyways, so uh, yeah, so Hagar uh, At this point after this all happens now she has something uh, to feel superior to about her mistress uh, now uh, the, the scripture tells us no servants greater than uh, their master and uh, so she begins to despise Sarai despise Sarai Sarah uh, and it results in jealousy and, and, and as we see here things are starting to unravel quickly right uh, that just uh, it's it's it starts a, a downward spiral so they continue what we see here is they grow uh, into getting worse and they go from bad to worse and and then it's a spiral and things go uh, really bad. So Abram's error is beginning to grow uh, into a bigger issue. And this led to more problems than solutions in their lives. So they're trying to solve their own problem here. And they've negated God's promise. And uh, they think they've done it by themselves. So begins with problems in his marriage, his family, and ultimately we see in his descendants. Uh, they had uh no idea of the consequences that were gonna come uh to Israel. And uh we understand from reading ahead uh, that uh, his name is Ishmael and his descendants uh married Es uh married Esau's uh Esau, Isaac's son. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Um uh, Jacob and Esau. So uh Ishmael's descendant married uh Esau, and there were more problems that happened there. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but uh, there there are, are problems that are just developing all over the place as we look at this. Verse 5, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. Remember? So she was, she was mad at God, so she starts trying to blame God. Now she's pointing at her husband. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So strife and jealousy are are very much evident now. And Sarai is now passing the blame to Abram. It's all your fault, really not accepting anything, any of her own fault, but she goes and, you know, I uh, understand here, there's enough blame for both of them that uh, they, they both did wrong. And we've, we've covered that, you know, he's called to be the leader. Uh, she lost her faith and presented him with this plan. It's all a mess. It, and, and it just continues to be a problem for them. So, uh Abram says to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So Abram tells her to discipline her maid if she wants to. So Abram's putting his wife before the servant now. Uh, so there's this, this weirdness happening here, and he should put his wife before his servant. But this is a really weird way and a weird, really weird thing that's happening here. Uh, by his actions, he's making things much worse. All around and and uh, you know Sarai dealt harshly with her and Hagar fleds and uh, fleds she flees and she she escapes from there so things went really bad we had this plan I'm gonna present uh, him with this plan he accepts they do this uh, she gets pregnant and then there's uh, there's this jealousy that comes in because uh, uh uh, Sarai is now uh, despised in Hagar's eye, Hagar's eye, Hagar's uh, eyes, and uh, things go bad even worse. She deals with Hagar uh, harshly, and now she runs away. And uh, verse seven says, now the angel of the Lord, uh, in my Bible, the angel is capitalized. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. The angel of the Lord found her by her, her is Hagar, uh, by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they should not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, he shall be a wild man. His, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe, observe, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram his son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So the angel of the Lord, I will back all the way up to verse 7. Uh, it doesn't say angels or an angel, but the angel, uh, the angel of the Lord. Now, angels have always made it very clear when they come to people that they serve God. They come down. I am, uh, you know, Gabriel. I am Michael. Whoever it is when they uh, when Gabriel came, I am, uh, I am, uh, Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Made it very clear that He's not God. Uh, so and they made it clear that they too are servants. So uh, this is the first occasion in the scripture where we see the angel of the Lord. So uh, this angel is speaking as God in this encounter. If you notice that I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Angels are not uh, beings that uh, can create. They're not creators, but they are created and they're not to be worshiped. So uh, it, it has to be God. Otherwise this is blasphemy. So this has to be God. So these appearances—now an interesting part—these appearances ceased after the incarnation of Christ. So the, the where it says the angel of the Lord. So it's it's uh, very uh, very possible that these instances where it says the angels are manifestations of Christ—that that they are Christophanies, which I believe they are—that they are manifestations of Christ before. Uh, before uh, a pre-incarnate Christ. John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Right? So a Christophany, you know, a pre-incarnate Christ, God the Son in physical form, uh, it's evident that this is one of these scenarios. So uh, what we see is that she had fled into the wilderness and was by a spring. She had gone from the craziness of the home into the wilderness to a calm and quiet place away from everyone. She didn't run into the city to walk around and, you know, listen to, you know, whatever was going on. She ran to a quiet place, to a refreshing and peaceful spot, and she she had fled all that strife and, and you know, when the Lord comes to her, he's he's he knew her struggles and he ministered to her, and and we can rest knowing that he knows ours also. He calls her by name and by title. You notice that? Hagar, Sarah's maid. He calls her by her name and who. He, so that's going to get our attention, right? I've told you guys. I And it just happened to me uh, on Sunday after church. Jen and I went out to eat. And uh, we're sitting there enjoying our food and everything. And someone said, John Paul. And I'm like, I, instantly, somebody from Bucksport. I know it. Because they've known me since I I was a kid. Because I haven't used John Paul, which I'm not ashamed of my name at all. But growing up, I I you know I w- I will admit when I was a kid, it drove me nuts to have two first names, be called by two first names. Paul is my middle name, but I I I al- it always made me feel small, like little, like I was a little kid. Oh, John Paul, John Paul. I love it now. I'm like John in the scripture, Paul in this in the. I was named after the Pope, but but now I claim okay, John in the scripture and Paul. I'll take those two. And I'll run with them. And, um, but I know when somebody, so that gets my attention in a special way. The Lord gets her attention in a special way. And he says her name and her title. You're Hagar, Sarah's servant. And he, he says, uh, so the Lord uh, starts ministering to her here. And uh, he says, where have you come from? And where are you going? The Lord knows. He knows the answer to both of those questions. He knew where she came from and he knew that she had really nowhere to go. Right? Remember my uh, my little sister when she'd get mad um and she she moved out of our house. She was like 7. And she decided she was moving out of the house and she got like her favorite toys and a bed and a blanket and she goes and she moved right behind a tree in the in our yard and she was moving out, you know. And it, 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 this is what comes to mind but that she had nowhere to go you know my sister had nowhere to go but here this woman has nowhere to go you know and the lord's meeting her there where did you come from where are you going those are two really big questions for her and she doesn't you know when she starts to decide it, it wasn't like the lord's like can you can you inform me it's 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 another way it, god wants to listen to her and he does listen to her and understand when the Lord speaks to us and he asks us a question, he wants us to speak to him. He's the wonderful counselor. He's He's the one that's there. He's the comforter. And he comforts her in this situation. He comes to her. He says her name. Where did you come from? Where are you going? And the, the, the conversation opens up. He's speaking to her personally. It's not the big thunderous voice. Arr, arr. You know, we don't have the recording of that. But there, there's uh, she. Uh, she hears from the Lord. The angel of the Lord uh, found her and comes and has has a conversation with her. And they're they're uh, they're speaking to one another. And he asks the question, and uh, she tells him, "I'm fleeing from them." And God's response is probably not what she wanted to hear. He tells her the last thing she wants to hear: "Go back. Submit yourself uh, to uh, to Surai." Go ahead, and and the Lord starts explaining some more to her, and He reveals that He's going to make uh, this child that's within her a mighty nation. Now I had to—you got to wonder—did she ever, did she ever think maybe she might never be a mom? She might you know, shes a, she's a servant, she's a slave girl. She came from Egypt. Remember when when uh, when Abram and, and Sarai when they went there. And Pharaoh's giving them male and female servants. That's where she came from. She doesn't have a free life. It's not like she's getting ready to grow up and move out, go to college, and start a career and start a family or anything like that. Her job, her life is serving. And she might have always wondered, you know, am I going to have a child? Whatever it is, the Lord ministers to her and says this. God said that he'd multiply her descendants exceedingly. Because uh, what we understand, if you if you look at Genesis 21, we see that God says that because he's the offspring of Abram, and he and understand that the Lord will bless us and bless others around us because of our relationship with the Lord. But God reassures Abraham Abraham at that time that he's going to bless Ishmael because of who his father is and because of the relationship that that he has uh, with the Lord. And verse eleven, God uh, tells her that she will bear a son, and uh, uh, no one that uh, identifies himself as an angel uh, that serves God can 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 say that, you know, I'm going to to bless you um, uh, with a uh, with a child. So we know this this is the Lord here. Um, the The name Ishmael is God hears. You know, or it couldn't be translated. God will hear, or, or uh, whom God hears. But uh, it says that he will be a wild man, and he'll have contention with every man. It says, not necessarily a positive uh, message about him, but he's going to be kind of out of control. And if you haven't looked at the Arab nations, they're a little bit out of control. You know, in uh, so we're going to get into that as we as we progress through. But there's just a sneak peek. Um, so she says, uh, she calls the name of the Lord. You are God. Uh, you are the God who sees. You know. Have I also seen Him who sees me? This was quite a uh, quite an encounter for her uh, to be speaking uh, with the Lord. And you know, this isn't your everyday meeting with a stranger. She understood that she had an encounter with God. She didn't leave there going, uh, you know, what just happened and all these things. And she actually has her own uh, name uh, for the Lord. And, and she calls the name of the place Beer Lahai Roy. Um, and now if you're from Maine, people with the last name ROI, uh, they might have uh, some some joy in that. Going, hey, my, name's, my name is in the Bible here. Uh, but Beer uh, Bayer, uh, Lahai Roy. Uh, the well of him who lives and sees, so that that specific well is mentioned two more times. You'll find it in genesis twenty four and twenty five Isaac lived uh, near there, uh, and it's a well it was well known to Israel and Genesis is being written by Moses four hundred years later, so this place you know uh, kept the same name and and uh, it was familiar if you read through the way it's described uh as as it's being explained. Here uh, it says that um, therefore the well was called this, and it says observe, see it's it's this one is uh, that's what it says in, in verse fourteen. So she renames this place uh, the well of him who sees. The Lord saw her brokenness. The Lord saw uh, that uh, there was a uh, desperation in her life, and the Lord ministered to her there. Understand the Lord sees our brokenness, and he ministers to us, and he calls us to him. Verses six, 15 and 16 explain the child's birth, and Abraham's Abram is 86 years old when he has his first child. He names him Ishmael, so there's no doubt that Hagar went back and explained this all to Abram and to Sarai, because he names the child what God told her the name of the child was going to be. It wasn't like she hid this. She had to go back and she explained it all. And uh, she did as the Lord instructed her to go back. And the Lord gave her the child and the the child's name. There's more to this story. We're going to get into that next week. We're running out of time now. But we see a few things from these, and and there are more things. But some of the highlights are uh, to understand uh, from these things, three of them. When we walk uh, by... Uh, sight and not by faith we get impatient and things fall apart we can see that's evident in what we just we just looked at faith and patience always come together in the scripture they always come together faith and patience james 1 right I you know, consider it pure joy when we go through all those things because God is building us. He's strengthening us. He's, he's, uh, he's molding us more into his image. Uh, Hebrews uh, verses 6, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 say, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience, inherit promise, right? So it's the opposite of walking by sight and not by faith. It's by faith and patience. When those two things come together, uh, then uh, those those the good things are going to happen to us. The last thing is trust God for his promises, his plan, and his timing. These When they didn't, look what happened. God could have removed uh, Hagar from the whole equation. But he didn't. He told her to go back. And then he blesses that baby because it came from Abraham, which you'll see as we get through in Genesis 21. God blesses that baby and makes him a great nation because he came from Abraham. Lots more to talk about that as we get through. But those three things, when we walk by sight and not by faith, we get impatient and things fall apart. Faith and patience always come together. Trust God for his promises, his plan, and his timing. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we are uh, so grateful that you spoke to us and that you you always do, that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Powerful, Lord, alive that it speaks to us and powerful, that, Lord, you minister to us so greatly through your word. And, God, you can can minister to us in a way that no uh, other – thing or no other person can. We're so blessed to have your word. We pray that you would help us to retain what we've learned. Apply it to our lives. Share it where you open doors to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Grace and peace to you.